Well, we talked about a person's worldview. Uh, and I know, I'm going to ask you for your help. How many of you know that our world is in bad shape? Say amen. That was pretty wimpy. How many of you believe our world is in bad shape? Say amen. That's good. And I could promise you we're going to do exercises during the message today. So you might as well get ready. And I'll also tell you, uh, you're going to see some scriptures there that you might want to just take your phone and snap it, take a look and say, I want to remember that scripture and be sure it's a part. And why is the world in bad shape? Well, it's got to be the government. It's got to be the party. It's got to be this. Got to be. Hey, let me tell you why the world's in bad shape. S-I-N. That word spells sin. Started from the very beginning. Sin. Evil comes from the enemy of our soul. Evil is very, very real. We came face to face with that this past week in our own community when two friends of mine and many friends of yours were found stabbed to death in their home by an intruder that was called, that was in fact called a monster, all out of the evilness of that person's heart. We ask the question, how did the world get so messed up? How did that happen? We know that we're going to discover some of that, but we know the root cause, in fact, is sin. And the Bible says that none of us are pretty. I mean, that is without sin. We have all sinned. Say that with me. We have all sinned. Now, I want you to turn to your neighbor. I don't want you to say it forcefully because I don't want you to breathe anything on them. But just look at them and say, sinner. Sinner. Go ahead. Sinner. Yep. You're a sinner. That's right. I'm a sinner. Come on now. I'm a sinner saved by grace. You believe that? Sinner saved by grace. Without grace, you're in big, big trouble. The Bible said sin came into the world because of what one man did, just one. And with sin came what? Death. So sin brings death, not life, not paralysis. But sin brings death. And so we have it right between the eyes in Ecclesiastes 7.20. There is not a single person in all the earth. Read the rest of it with me. Who is always good and never sins. I hope I'm making you feel good with this message so far. It's always good to square off with yourself and face reality. I'm a sinner, but I'm a sinner saved by grace. Anybody ever gets into your territory? Let me tell you why it is. They're sin. Sin's in their life. Evilness that is there. They want to do you harm. And so we find the Bible said there is none righteous. No, not one. There's not a just man upon the earth that doeth good and sinneth not. And if we claim we have not sinned, here's a word. We deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Now I want to put this in three categories, this thing we call evil, started, of course, with Adam and Eve. And I'm going to call the first thing sin. So stay with me. Here we go. Sin is an English term that uh, also is an archery term. That is bow and arrow. And if you're not shooting a bow and arrow and you got this big old target out there and you're shooting and you pull that bow back and you're a little bit wimpy, and you pull it back and the bow just gets about three quarters to the target and then goes kumpluk. You know what that means? It meant that your error fell short. 
So sin, in an archery term, means that it fell short of the target. Sin literally means falling short. So when Paul writes in Romans 3.23, all have sinned and what? Fallen short. That's sin. Here's another word that I'm going to give to you this morning. It's transgression. Transgression. Well, it's the exact opposite of sin, falling short. Transgression goes beyond. Transgression said, if the speed limit is 70, bless God, I'm going to go 95. I'm going way beyond that. That's what transgression is. It is the deliberate, intentional, willful decision to break the law. And when God says, now don't do that, and you say, I don't give a rip about you, God. I've been good. I paid my tithe. I listened to that old preacher all the time. But this time, I'm going to get what I want out of this deal. God said, transgression. Transgression is sin, and sin brings, come on, sin brings what? Death. Here's the next one, third one. You can't say it normally. The third one is iniquity. Bless God. Don't get into iniquity. You can't just say it iniquity. You got to put a twist. Iniquity actually talks about my heart. It's the attitude of my heart. It's, it's a basic disposition that, that I'm a wonder. I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to go where I want to go, when I want to go, how I want to go. And you don't have any word to say, God, if you don't mind, check out. I want a little iniquity here. And you know what the Bible uh, says is about those that wander and want to go their own way, here's what he says. He compares that to sheep. Because sheep like to wonder. So it's no wonder that the Bible says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've each turned unto his own way. It's like God says, I want you to do this. I want you to go there. And you say, I don't want to go there. I want to go in the opposite direction. What Old Testament person would fit that mold? Jonah. Jonah. No, God, I do not want to go. God said, iniquity is in your heart, buster. You see, it's our natural disposition, the intentions of our heart. It, it could be jealousy or anger or envy, any of those things. And now Psalms 23, verse 5, gives us all three words in a scripture. Here we go. I acknowledge my sin to you. I did not cover up my iniquity. And I confess my transgression. And you forgave my what? You forgave my guilt. The question is, why do we do all those things? So let's discover. It's the old song that I've sang a hundred times. I'm only human. I'm just a man. It is I am human. Say that with me. I am human. I'm human. That's what it says. My human nature. Where did I get my human nature? 
Adam. Where did it come from? The first man. I inherited his fallen natural tendency to want to do my own thing. Paul steps to the plate. What a great writer of words of truth he was. Romans 8, 7, your sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's laws and it never will. That's your sinful nature, your humanity. That's what he says about it. Boy, howdy, is it a friend or an enemy? No, it appears to God my human nature is an enemy to God. So how am I going to deal with that? It's like a little kid who's spoiled rotten, and you did it. You understand it, but you tell a kid that's spoiled rotten, his parents that, that spoiled that kid will say, Junior, don't do that. Sylvester, don't do that. Mary Sue, don't do that. Susie Q, don't do that. No, no. And goes on and do what they want to. And mom turns to dad and says, look at that. A self-motivator. An innovator. You better get hold of that child right then and there, my friend. And let that child understand what it means that when you tell them don't do it, you ain't playing. You mean what you say. Anybody out there? Yeah, but pastor. Oh, Lord. Spoil the child when you spare that run. Number two, it is nurture. You are nurtured in an environment that is unholy. The truth is, you and I often learn to sin, how to do it, from people around us. Maybe your mom and dad. We know that they're not perfect. We know that, boy, they got in some just really go, come on, clean your plow blow it out, fuss, raise the whole roof. They couldn't have been perfect. The Bible said no one happens to be. And maybe you picked up some of those imperfections. Maybe a little bit of rage and anger and manipulative uh, abilities and maybe a little bit of tendency to blow up. And your nature is automatically going to get upset when you get offended because that's what you saw modeled. That's how you were nurtured. And then your nurture taught you a way of how to do that. See if you can complete this. Are you ready? Bad company corrupts good, a good, good character. Bad company corrupts good character. Have you ever seen a kid with the wrong group in school? And you said, that's not my kid. Well, yeah, your kid's hanging out with that group over there. They don't care. They don't have parents. They don't have any disciplines. And your kid wanted to be accepted. And now they're in the group. Oh, yes. That's your kid. Number two, culture. Is culture a friend or is it an enemy? If you're trying to live right, culture is not going to be necessarily your friend. The Bible tells us that culture is always pulling us down always pushing us down. It doesn't want to make us better. As a matter of fact, culture wants to make us selfish. Early bird gets the? That's right. Good old number one. That's who I support. We have to look out for number one. What's best? Sin and Satan use culture to get us to do the wrong thing. Romans 12, 2, Paul writes, don't copy the behavior of customs of this world. Are we there? Here we go. The Phillips paraphrase is don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. Try to dominate your life. Let God transform you instead. You're either going to be dominated by that culture or you're going to let God transform you. Now, what is sin, transgression, and iniquity done in this world? Well, 
Why does God allow it? I heard people say in recent elections and all the, all the things that were going on and, and riots and people breaking into businesses and cars and burning cars and shooting police. And they said, why does God, why doesn't God put a stop to that? Because he's got you and your unsaved family members in mind. That's why. But it will happen Psalms 24, 4, only those with clean hands and pure hearts will receive a blessing from the Lord. You know what that means? The key to blessing is a clean hand and a pure heart. It doesn't say perfect heart, perfect man. It says you have actually been washed by the blood of Jesus Christ and you have confessed to Jesus, Father, forgive me. And when you admit to God, it's forgiven and cast into the sea of forgetfulness, never to be remembered again. We've all sinned. And God says, don't keep doing that. And the reason the world is in a mess is because we have sin and we live in the fallen world. And the Bible calls it the fall, which means our planet is not perfect. It's not perfect. It's not a perfect place. It was at the beginning of creation. It was before the fall of man. Most people don't know that we live in a fallen world. They'll blame it on politics or blame it on heat, blame it on coal. That's why they ask, well, well why is this happening? It's as if we're supposed to see a perfect and beautiful world in which we live. But we don't live in a perfect and beautiful world. We live in a world where sin has taken hold. And as a result of that, our planet begins to digress to be far less than perfect. So that's why there are natural disasters and deformities. Nature doesn't always act in a rational way. There are national disasters, hurricanes, droughts, earthquakes, and tidal waves. Why? Because the planet's broken. That's what the Bible says in Romans 8:20, creation was condemned to lose its purpose. Right there. It says because of age, because of sin, because of what happened in the fall of man, said this earth that God created to be perfect is impacted by the imperfections that took place at the fall of man. The original purpose of creation was to be, get this now, in perfect harmony with man and perfect harmony with God. Both perfect harmony with man perfect harmony with God. I suppose that means that you could go to the beach in a perfect world and you wouldn't need suntan lotion. You get just the right amount of sun to bake you. The world would just be such a wonderful place. It continues to say creation is confused. Creation is confused. Romans 8.20, creation was condemned to lose its purpose. If you take a mom who's a crackhead, who gets pregnant and bears a child, high, high percentage that that child will suffer some deformity or in fact be born addicted to drugs. Why? Because that's the way the consequence a fallen nature works. Romans 8, 22, all of creation groans with pain. 
There is a physical decay and death because we live on the fallen planet, which means that our physical body, get this, your physical body is getting older and weaker. You are getting older. Let me tell you in a more direct way, you are old. <laughs> I can run tr through a troop. I can leap over a wall. You sang that when you were 16. You changed the words now. I can crawl through a troop and run into a wall. <laughs> but you ain't going to do no leaping. That's just plain old yard talk right there. And he says, you're not perfect anymore. You're just not. Old people talk about the main subject. They talk about their medication. What are you on? Or their next doctor's appointment. Hey, go out to dinner with us on Thursday, uh, Thursday at lunch. Oh, I can't. I got a doctor's appointment. What, what about Friday? Friday morning. How about Friday morning breakfast? No. I have to go down and let Mike Ryan work on my body. I got some problem that's there. He says he can work it out. He's been at it a year now. And we're getting there. Your body, so, so here's what he's saying. Sin had the world that we know it going down, had you. We need doctors, different we understand. But our bodies one day soon will be bodies that are resurrected, raptured, that will be heavenly bodies where there is no pain and no ache. No nothing, no need for the doctor, no need for the medication. We will enjoy. Your voice will be perfect, right on key. You won't scare anybody when you sing up there. It'll all be good when we get to heaven. Do you believe that? Amen. Now, there's a law of entropy. Entropy means that everything in the universe continually is decaying. Scientists have known this for years. It's winding down. So, here's what we see. If I were to ask you this question, you believe the world is worse off today than it was 25 years ago, what would you say? Well, let me ask you this question. What do you think it's going to look like if the Lord tarries 25 years from now? We're going to bigger, bigger trouble and a bigger mess than you could ever imagine. You know what God is saying? He's saying to us this morning. He said, this world is winding down. It's coming to an end. It won't be long. And Gabriel will put his lips to that trumpet and sound off. And God will say, this is it. It's it. Time is it. It's there. 
That's what he's saying to the church. Get busy, church. Don't shrink back. Don't run away. Don't get discouraged. Don't get weary in well-doing. Don't be a victim. Don't be individuals who give excuses. Be people that stand up in these last days and believe that the power of Almighty God is greater now when my church calls upon me than it's ever been. Let me do the ministry that only my Holy Spirit can do. Let the church arise in the name of Jesus Christ. And though the world may be winding down, let the church crank it up at this time in which we have the privilege to be able to do so. That's enough preaching for a hand clap or two out of some of you. We understand all creation anticipates the day, here it is, when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. We have emotional distress. We have a rational, a relational discord. There are people that are angry at one another just because of the election. Did you know it? Just because of the election. They're upset. Family members. You know what the Bible says? Hey, in the last days, sons will be against daughters. Kids will be against parents. Parents against kids. Yada, yada. Do you know how much it takes for that? Not much. Not much. Not much at all. But you know what? You and I have the option because, for example, in marriage. How many know what marriage is? How many of you have a better understanding about marriage after you're married than before you were married? May I see your hand? A deep and lasting. See, here's the thing with marriage. Either you're going to grow up or you're going to grow apart. Amen? You're going to grow up or you're going to grow apart. You get to choose. When you stop growing up, you will grow apart. Growing up means, hey, I will forgive. Growing up says, I'm sorry. Growing up means, hey, whatever it takes, I'm hanging in here. Growing up means not my will, but your will be done. Growing up says, I know you didn't mean what you just said, you idiot. You see, Adam and Eve didn't have any selfishness in the garden. They had no exes they had to deal with. They had perfect intimacy. They had innocent intimacy. The Bible says they were naked and unashamed. What a body. Naked and unashamed. Neither one of them had a belly button. That helps right there. <laughs> Smooth. But they had intimacy emotionally. They never had an argument before sin came. But here's how God knew that sin had come in and they had broken God's request. In Genesis 3, verse number 7, then suddenly they felt shame at their nakedness. So they strung fig leaves. Why fig leaves? I don't know, but 
They strung fig leaves together to cover themselves. So along comes God. Adam, where you at, buddy? God has perfect hearing, but for Adam's sake. What did you say, Adam? I said, here. Where are you at? He knew where he was at. Adam walked out. God knew immediately because prior to sin, they didn't need to be covered. Prior to sin, they didn't need to hide. Prior to sin, there was no imagination that was corrupt. Prior to sin, there was no evil, but now they've broken the covenant agreement. I was afraid, he said, so I hid. And God, and furthermore, the reason I'm hiding is I'm in trouble. I'm telling you, God, because that woman you gave to me, she did it. She tempted me. God, you know about these women. God said, no, I, I didn't know about these women, Adam. So you're blaming her? Now, it's not in the Bible, but I know it's there. <laughs> God said, you wimp. Just got to be there somewhere. It just didn't make the final cut. You wimp. And from that moment, that moment... It cast you and me into spiritual darkness so that your human nature now is a powerhouse. And the spiritual nature of God has to fight with your human nature all the time. All the time. Paul said, I'm, I want to do right. And when I do right, I don't, I don't understand why I do right. He said, it's, it's, that, it's that working of my human nature as relates to my spiritual nature. Job said, I am like a caravan lost in the desert searching for water. Job said, hey, I'm thirsty and I don't even know what I'm thirsty for. I'm hungry, but I don't even know what I'm hungry for. I feel unsatisfied and unfulfilled, and I don't know why. And so you want to know why you see the riots. You want to know why you see the police. You want to know why there's murder. You want to know why there's lying. You want to know why there's fraud. You want to know why that. It is one word. It is S-I-C. 
in. And there's only one, listen to me, only one antidote, and that antidote is Jesus. And Jesus, I'm talking about the Jesus that you love, that Jesus is the head of your church. You're saying, his name is wonderful. His name is wonderful. His name is wonderful. Jesus, my Lord. Do you believe that? Do you believe that without him, there is no hope? Without him, your best effort is a sinking ship. Without him, full bore in your life. You'll be miserable trying to mix it up. But when you decide, by the grace of God, the only way to fight the misery of this world. You know what Paul writes about the Ephesian church in Ephesians 4.18? Here it is. This is one of those scriptures I know you're going to want to get. It says, they refused for so long to deal with God that they lost touch not only with God, but with reality itself. And a nation that refused to deal with God we don't need your commandments. We don't need your prayer. We don't need in God we trust. We don't need any of that religious stuff. God says when they refuse so long to deal with the reality of who it is, they not only lost touch and religion took place of the living being, but they lost touch of reality itself. When you say they've gone crazy, there it is. How do people do some of the things they do? People ask, Pastor, how do they do that? How did this guy do what he did the other morning? Lost touch with right and wrong. With principles, lost touch with love. But according to what I'm told, he will not be able to lose touch with the consequence of that behavior. And so here we are on this beautiful Sunday morning. The Lord says in Deuteronomy 30, 15, today I'm giving you a choice between good and evil and between life and death, and God reveals it. Ecclesiastes 3.17, in due season, God will judge everything man does, both good and bad. And what's he going to do to show us a need for our Savior? Ecclesiastes 3.18, would you stand to your feet? That's not what it says, but I'm asking you. Ecclesiastes 3.18. I want to ask you to read it with me. 
on three, one, two, three. God allows people to continue in their sinful ways so he can test them. That way they can see for themselves that they are no better than the animals. Do you know why I said that? Because animals don't have a conscience. But you do. Is a conscience my guide for right and wrong? No. It's a tool. The guide for your life is here. So I'm asking you, I know it's the COVID season and I know that more and more people are getting afraid and more people talk about it's ramping up. I sure hope most people are tired about talking about government these days. Pray, 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 pray. But I asked someone the other day when they had text something about the election and one thing and another, I said, I'm going to ask you a question. <laughs> How many souls have you talked to about Jesus this week? I mean, bona fide talk to about, come on to church with me. Let me pray with you. Let me talk to you. You know what the answer was? Zero. As long as that keeps being the answer. The potential God has for lost mankind will be greater than ever. And the only vaccine for sin is Jesus. Amen? Let's give him just a clap offering. Would you do that? Thank you, Jesus. In the bow of your heads, those who are at home, just stay with us a few moments. I know that there are those of you whose heart is not right with Jesus. And I know some of you are listening maybe a day or two later, and some of you are at home right now, and some of you are right here in this room. But you know, the reality of the matter is, is this. God only partially has a part of your heart. And you know, he's not satisfied with that. He says it in the Word of God. It's like, hey, you deny yourself 50%, no, 100%. You take up your cross and you follow after me. If you want darkness to be dispelled, don't count on your police to do that. If you want darkness to dispel, you get in your prayer closet and you pray the power of darkness away. If you want to shut the mouths of those who want to hurt you with their words and their accusations, you don't shoot them or curse them. You pray them to have a spirit of sweetness and forgiveness. That's what you do. That's, what, that's the correct way. If you want to see God move in the city of Lakeland, what a great wake-up call recently. And the core value of leadership I can tell you, we get on our knees and we believe God. But you know, before you do that, you got to have your own heart in tune with Jesus. So I'm going to ask you to repeat this prayer, those of you at home, and those of you that are here. And would you speak it out loud? Don't hide it. Let's do it together. Dear Heavenly Father, Dear Heavenly Father 
I thank you for Jesus. Thank you for Jesus. Lord Jesus, I am sorry. Lord Jesus, I'm sorry. I have sinned. I've sinned. I made mistakes. I made mistakes. And I am guilty. And I am guilty. But this morning, but this morning I need that forgiveness. Cleanse me. Cleanse my hands. Cleanse my heart. Make me new as I ask you to forgive my transgressions. Forgive my iniquity. Forgive my sin. And I will stand clean before you. Holy Spirit of God, I have a battle that I am fighting. But right now, I'm turning it to you. Because you can fight it when I can't. And your results will bring peace and prosperity and approval and favor. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's put our hands together and let's thank God for that. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. God is so good. When you get ready to leave in a moment, I pray you'll remember this message. Next Sunday is the last one. It's the final message of this series. I'm anxious and ready to preach it right now, okay? But I just want you to pray for that message because we have people that are giving their heart to Jesus Christ because it's a little different spin and twist on, uh, on some subject matter. And it's helping us and to God be the glory for that. Can you say amen? And then let me encourage you. Some of your friends are not back yet. Shake their tree a little bit, okay? Shake them up. Say, hey, come on. I'm back having great worship, wonderful time. You need to come on back. Amen? And if you say, well, I can't get them back. They're so used to those checkered things. Tell them to wear them on in here. That's fine. We're not finicky people here at Victory. Just touch lives for the cause of Jesus Christ. I love you, everybody. They're going to continue to worship. You are, I'm not going to tell you to hug necks and shake hands because we know that may not be a positive thing, though as badly as you want to, but just love on Jesus. Amen. I love you, everybody. God bless you. Come on, hands on it as we celebrate. Let's declare that breakthrough is coming. Here we go. Say. Church, God keep you. Go in peace. We'll see you on Wednesday at our next experience.